Amen. You can grab a seat. Good morning. My name's Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. I didn't mean to cut off a good morning response. Thank you to whoever said good morning back. How kind. Yeah, of course it was Gina. Glad you guys are here. I'm glad the donuts haven't just annihilated you. I was concerned when we put donuts out that Josh would have a great experience and everybody would be feeling it. And then I would come up and talk and you'd be like, great. And then the sugar crash would hit and everybody would be done. But um, yes, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here. Glad you're here with us. If you got a copy of the scriptures, crack them open to Luke chapter 7. Turn, tap your way to Luke 7. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, don't panic. We'll have those verses on the screen. We'd love to give you a Bible and a modern English translation on your way out. As you're turning there, I'll tell you, you can learn a lot about the world and who is out there by taking walks. Love getting out and stretching my legs a little bit. It's a great way to think, see the world. And as you're walking, the world has kind of been three categories. You have some people that are out and exercising, and they're athletic, and they're beautiful, and they're perfect. And they're hard to see. They're so fast. They come flying past you, and they're killing it. And then you have a second category. You have people who are clearly on, like, day two of their new walking program. And they're husky, but they're out there. And you're cheering for them because they're just now starting. And they're sweating, and they got a T-shirt from, like, the early 2000s and giant headphones. But they're doing it, and they're working on it. And you're cheering for them. But, of course... You know, some parts of town. There's also people who are out on the street, uh, and they don't pass you. You pass them. There are people on the street because they're living out on the street. Just pause from the moment. Uh, Christian Rescue Mission is fantastic. Donate. They they do a great job trying to care for people that are out there. But resume. Uh, If you think about the world in those categories, there are people who are out there, and they feel like they're killing it, There are people who are out there that feel like they're working on it. And there are people that are out there that feel like they're miserable, that they've lost. I want you to think for a moment about who you are. Not literally homeless, literally overweight, or literally fit. But in your life, are you killing it? Are you excited for people to see you? Because you feel like you're doing exactly what you want your life to be. Or are you somebody who's working on it? I mean, you're here this morning. Maybe somebody brought you. Maybe you come all the time. And you just, I don't know, it's not hopeless. But there's stuff about your life you'd love to change. Or are you here and you feel like you got your feet in the grave? Just nothing but problems. And then somebody's going to speak Bible to you, and you have to ask the question, okay, Bible, but what does it have to do with me? Well, the Gospels are written about Jesus in such a way that they're giving you stories that directly apply to you. They already said, the Gospel writers, the guy lived a life that was way too full for us to tell you everything or even the highlights. So they give us stories that are not only true, They're stories that directly apply or most directly apply to us and to Jesus' ministry to us. I mean, Jesus' life was way too full and way too unpredictable. You read these stories and you you find things that confront you and, and unsettle you. 
Maybe you've been around long enough to feel like you know what's happening. But then all of a sudden Jesus will spit in dirt to heal somebody. Or he'll call a woman from Syrophoenicia a dog. Unsettling, unexpected. There's times where he's healing and he's doing things you expect him to do. But then there's times where he's teaching and you expect it to zig and it zags. Very difficult to figure out exactly what's going on. It is unexpected, and it's sort of like the ridges of a key. If you have a key to your house, you look at it, and it's got these ridges, and it's got these unexpected movements, and it doesn't really make much sense until you put it in the lock. The thing that works about it, the thing that's consistent of Jesus' teaching is that it actually does unlock the lock. It does make sense in that it does click into place what we need. What we need in order to understand ourselves, understand this life, but mostly what we need in order to understand God. Mysterious and necessary, he becomes the key to heaven itself. So let's read it. Luke chapter 7, 11 through 17 says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up, and he touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So, take a second to see. This is Easter. We're talking about Jesus rising from the dead. Yet, we're really talking about how Jesus rising from the dead affects you. These baptisms are helping to bridge the gap on how Jesus' life and ministry, death and resurrection connect to you. So I want to tell a story, not just about Jesus rising from the dead, but the way that that affects us. So this morning, think about yourself as one of these joggers and ask the question, how much Jesus do you need? Because this story is preaching that he will heal you. He will raise you. It's Easter. We don't have a ton of time, so I'm just going to quickly move through this and see that Jesus sees your pain, Jesus feels your pain, and he takes your pain. Sees, feels, and takes. First, let's think about how Jesus sees your pain. I think if you try to understand Jesus, many people sort of assume that he's beyond comprehension. He's either a good moral teacher, beyond comprehension, or he's somebody that's God, beyond comprehension. We think about Jesus like my dog thinks about my wife when she works at home. She's sitting there and the dog just sits right by her and she's typing or she's on a meeting and she's talking with other people about sophisticated data analytics and tech companies and whatnot. And the dog doesn't care. He doesn't try. He doesn't try to figure out what's going on. He just likes to be close to a person he loves. And by my dog, I mean me. I don't understand what she does. And honestly, I don't really try to figure out. 
I just like to be close to her, and she can do whatever she does. It's mysterious. It's beyond my understanding, but I don't have to understand. I just want to be close to her. Well, yeah, that's fine. Be close to Jesus. But understand that Jesus coming into the world, Jesus being born, works the other way around. It means that he does know you. What you feel and how you feel, he has felt. He's come to be among us. He's come to be with us. He's come to see and to hear and to understand, to really be human. He doesn't just stay on high. We just moved and we had to deal with Comcast. Comcast is on high. They don't know and they don't care about you or your world. We came up to Comcast like Oliver Twist with a little bowl, like a little orphan boy, and said, please, may we have some internet? And they went, more? You want more? How much are you paying? We're like, everything. Double it. Because <laughs> it's Comcast, and they don't care. They're high and they're mighty. But Jesus isn't. Yes, he's God above all. Yes, he sits on a throne in heaven, and yet he comes and he actually lives our lives. In this story, he's actually standing on this street. He's watching this woman weep. He's watching the procession as the pallbearers totter down the street and the corpse shifts on the bier. He sees the crowd. He sees their faces and realizes that this woman's pain is multiplied by every person in that crowd because they will all experience this same thing. He actually sees. He actually understands. He's actually up close to your pain because he came to be with us. But seeing, he also feels your pain. I don't know if it's enough to just see it. You have to feel it. Think about your kid. Walk in in the morning, your kid is trying to shove their giant head through the armhole of their shirt. And they're pulling as hard as they can, and they're grunting, or maybe they're crying and they're upset. And when you see it, you laugh or you sigh, but you definitely go and help because you feel their pain. You love them. We talk about the word dingus a lot at our house. That word means a lovable idiot. And it comes up a lot. It comes up a lot with the puppy. He loses his ball, and we have to help him find it. We take him on a walk, and he walks on the wrong side of the stop sign. And I'll say, okay, Chip, come. And he'll just stare at the leash that's not looped around. It's just on the side. He'll stare at the leash and the stop sign, and it's just an unsolvable maze. There's no way to figure it out or fix it. And so I have to walk around the stop sign for him. It's a lovable idiot. <laughs> but you feel for him. You do love him, so you step in. It is possible to see suffering and not step in. You ever go visit somebody in the hospital? comes up a lot for me. It did for COVID at least. But you go and, and you, you have this temptation to think about what you'd rather be doing instead of going to the hospital. And the chairs are not comfortable 
and the place is a little bit creepy. And all you're doing is thinking about the least that you can say and still be a polite person and then get out of there. Confession. Or instead of selfishly focusing on yourself, you can go into that room, and if you love the person, it happens automatically, but you go into that room and you see them, and instead of thinking about yourself and what you'd rather be doing, you start to think about them. You imagine what it's like to have a tube up your nose or up your arm or up somewhere else, and you think about not being able to sleep and the anxiety that they're feeling. And now the whole thing has flipped. I'm not thinking about me trying to get out of here. I'm thinking about you and trying to get you out of here. I feel compassion. It's very interesting that it says that Jesus feels compassion. Again, he's not ununderstandable. He feels a feeling that we feel. He feels compassion for this woman, and that word characterizes his whole ministry. In Matthew 14, we see Jesus. He's going along, and he sees this great crowd, and he has compassion on them, so he heals their sick. He, and later in Matthew, calls his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days. I don't have anything to eat. I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. He's just imagining what will be because he loves, he's thinking about, he cares for them. In, Matthew, uh, in Mark 6, it says, He went ashore and he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. You can just assume it's his job. He's Jesus. Get to work. But the Bible goes out of its way to tell us repeatedly that he's doing the things that he's doing out of a feeling towards you, a compassion for you. You ever talk to a bereaved person? You may have the same impulse to get out of there as soon as you can, but this time it's because you can't do anything about it. You can't help them. You can't fix them. Your world's hectic enough. And so you're going to try and care for them as little as you have to, can, whatever, so that their chaos can stay on their side of the line and you can get back to your life. You can't do anything for them, really. But what if you could? What if you could fix it? See, it's not enough to see it and it's not enough to feel it if you don't do something about it. If you can, Jesus can. See, he sees and he feels your pain and he takes your pain. It's not enough to feel it if you don't do something about it. In Jewish culture, it was tremendously unclean to touch a dead person. That was as unclean as it got. If you touched something that was touched by a dead person or touched a dead person, you had to go through an elaborate cleaning process until, and until you did, you were still considered unclean. You had to go and make the sacrifice. You had to wait the amount of time. You had to wash your body. You had to wash and change your clothes. And until that happened, you were unclean. In the moment when Jesus is on this street side and he's watching this procession come by, he could have done like we would have done and just sort of given an all shucks to it, let it pass, and then continued on clean. 
But instead, he stops. He feels, and he then stops their pain. He stopped the procession. He stopped the pallbearers. Then he stopped all the weeping. It says in verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Widow with a dead son, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier. That's like the casket. And the bears stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. He touched the unclean thing and the totally unexpected thing happened. In that moment, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the dead man became alive. The uncleanness disappeared. When you see this, understand the totality of it. In this moment, it's not just that a miracle takes place and everybody goes, wow, this guy must be a serious, you know, teacher or whatever. No, in that moment, this guy becomes alive and the woman gets back her son. The dead man gets back his life. And all the people understand, they do understand more about God and who he is. But they're understanding specifically that the opposite of what should happen, happened. Jesus raised this guy from the dead. It's a river that's going uphill and set it down. It's the sunrise happening in the west and the sunset happening in the east. It's a dead man waking up. It doesn't happen. It can happen. And yet it does happen because this Jesus takes their pain. He took it, just like he touched that dead man's casket. And instead of receiving a stain, he gave life. But how? Again, how? How does it connect from this story to me? Are we saying that no one will ever die again and that you can just go into funerals and say these same things? Of course not. He is taking that death on himself. He doesn't just erase death by magic. It's as though he slays a dragon from the inside. Jesus is eaten by death. Its mouth in the shape of a tomb takes him to death. And yet, on the Sunday, the resurrection day, he comes back. He doesn't just live with us and for us. He came and died for us. John 1 says... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Go back to the beginning of the sermon and think about those three runners. You have the people who are killing it. Well, guess what? You're still going to die. Hey, dum-dum, run as much as you want to, and you may die way after me, you know, hello, but you still got a problem. You're still going to pass. You're still toast. If you see your life and you feel like everything's perfect, it's not. If you see your life and you look at it like the husky jogger, it's not great, but you feel like there's something here, there's something worth pushing, and you're going to keep going, and you got something you're excited about and maybe even proud of. 
but still got problems? Come back. Hope Church is here to help you understand all of that in the context of Scripture, in Jesus' teaching, in His life, in the solutions that He gives. Come back. And if today you're one of those people who feel like you only have problems, you've got one foot in the grave already. Can I tell you that Jesus is already there with you? He died for you. There's nowhere you can go that he hasn't gone with you and for you. He's resurrected to bring you to himself forever. Reach out your hand to him today. Just like that John verse says, if you just believe him, if you trust in him, he gives you the right to become children of God. Okay, if though, this is just too much. You're new to Christianity and here's this guy and he's saying all this stuff and it's like, okay, yes, God's good and I, and I, I think Jesus is good, but huh? Okay, I get it. It's too much for one day. Come back. All the ridges and valleys of this key may be too complex. Great. Come back. Over the next several weeks, all we're talking about is resurrection. It's not going to get old. We've got all kinds of angles that we're going to talk about, and it's beautiful. But I'm also saying it's not going to be so heavy. Come back. It's a great way to get to know the people at Hope Church, understand a little bit about gospel community, and see a little bit more about this Jesus, this Jesus who has made dead people alive, like little Sarah Edmonds said in her video, like little David Bowers is about to say, he's not that little, in his video. The clear picture of who he is and what he's done, seen perfectly as people go down and people come up. Come back and be with us. Come back and see what he has come to do for you. We're about to watch one more video about the testimony of what Jesus does in a life. As you watch it, ask this question. What has Jesus come to do for you? Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, I ask right now, that you would bring your gospel home to our hearts. If people are hearing it for the very first time, I pray that they would believe. And if people are hearing it for the 1,000th time, I pray that we would believe and rejoice that you would make us into bright lights and salty salt, Lord, that you would send us out into your world filled to the brim with the overwhelming hope and joy that comes through your resurrection. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.